this fucking guy. Hello, my ham and cheese paninis. Welcome to This Fucking Guy, a podcast about self-care, if self-care is one long scream into the void. Here is where we use expletives and alcohol to emotionally process the creeps, jerks, and dick weasels that compose the shitty elevator music of our lives. I'm not that innocent, Ren Martinez. And I'm so lucky I'm a star. But I cry, cry, cry in my lonely heart. Ginger Gollum. If there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? (laughs) That song is enjoyable for how bad it is. I don't know. I think it's off the same album. My sister's had it. And she actually wrote a song, and it's called Dear Diary. Did you ever hear Britney Spears' Dear Diary? Yes, I absolutely. I hear, I've hear. i heard Britney Spears' Dear Diary. It's but so bad. I see your Dear Diary, and I raise you the song off of the first album, Email My Heart. Oh, yes. A classic. That's a song that somebody wrote. <laughs> so, welcome back, everyone, to... This to our Britney of- Spears fan cast. <laughs> um, yes, it's all about Circus, her fourth studio album, I believe. Oh my god. <laughs> Everybody's turned this off already. Are you happy with yourself? Well, here's the thing. So, like, it's definitely a joke in the uh, queer community about, like, what pop singer kind of gay you are. Because mm-hmm. you have your Britney gays, you have your Lady Gaga gays, you have your Beyonce gays. I'm a Carly Rae Jepsen gay. She is a bicon of ultimate proportions. <laughs> truly. Truly. Meanwhile, I'm over here just being a Tori Amos gay. Nobody wants to hang hey, out with me. That's a classic gay. <laughs> that is one of the classics of gay. That's like being a Robin gay, all right? There's nothing wrong with that, all right? It's just different, different modalities. I do want to point out real quick, uh, before we continue, uh, I just bought this shirt. I wore it out grocery shopping yesterday. Stand up. I can't even say. Oh. 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 It definitely says eat trash. Hail Satan. And there's a possum with an Illuminati symbol. <laughs> and and like, a rainbow. And like that uh, Lisa Frank color scheme. It's so beautiful. Oh. Uh, <laughs> she's coming for my possums and I don't even mind. I, was, I first clicked on the link because Facebook knows me now, and it was like, do you want this possum shirt that says gay trash on it? I bought that shirt. You did. So I went to the gay trash, and then I saw this one, and I was like, husband, light of my life, mothman of my heart, which one should I get? He's like, obviously the Hail Satan one. <laughs> <laughs> we also got him a possum shirt. My boyfriend, fiance, husband, still does not have a possum shirt. I did get him one sort of similar to the one that you are currently wearing that is a goat with a pentagram on its forehead and says, spicy, spicy heck boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. That is the most your fiance man shirt. (laughs) That I've ever experienced. And I have a box of his shirts at my yes. house now. So I'm, I'm glad I have gotten these cast off so he could really join forces with the one shirt that represents him as a person. I have to say it's so much fun now that you have those shirts. This may be boring. You can cut this out. But it's so much fun now to be on Zoom meetings with you and just sort of be <laughs> like, which fiancé torso will emerge but on... But on Ren. Um, I definitely asked uh, asked my husband at one point. I was like, hey, is it is it weird that most of the t-shirts I wear to bed now are like Ginger's fiancé man's old shirts? He's like, no, I wear them to work. So, like, <laughs> we're just all dating. We're just all dating him. The three of you are just in a very chaste polythruple <laughs> with my fiancé. And it's fine. It's Honestly, fine. Honestly, it's fine. <laughs> But enough of things that make us happy. What do you want to scream into the void this week, Ren? So I didn't have anything in particular per se, but like I was like, well, let's check out the news, right? And most of it is your standard everything still going to shit news. Like and then you there do. was one recommended based on your interests. And this was Google News, and I was like, oh no, this could be anything. <laughs> 
So it's an advice column, which, like, I love an advice column. You do. Um, and it's on Slate, and it's actually a, a sex advice column mm-hmm. called How to Do It. And it's this question about this woman. She's in her 50s. Three years ago, she got a divorce. And post-divorce, she kind of decided to, like, wild out a bit. She was, you know, drinking and doing drugs and having sex with a bunch of people. But it was, like, kind of her midlife crisis renaissance lady thing. A couple of months ago, she started dating a man named, who she calls Boris, which makes it even better. Boris. Um, and he's kind of like, hey, could you, like, lay off all the drugs and stuff? And she's like, eh, that's cool. But then she's like, here's the thing. There, that was that time where I felt very sexually liberated. And so, I, since I can't indulge in, like, these substances, I wanted to indulge in these sexual fantasies. And I'm going to read mm-hmm. this. Word for word. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. I keep Boris's ejaculate in my mouth. Oh, no. Discreetly spit it in a kitchen glass. Then, usually the next morning, I use the dehydrator and spice grinder to dry and grind his semen into a fine powder. I later ingest the semen dust using a straw to snort it. Well, that's going to be all for this one, <laughs> folks. If you like what you're hearing... <laughs> And of course, I know exactly why Google recommended this for me, but I can't believe that's oh, my geez. brand now. Um, uh, d- girl, I am. Mm, what are you looking up? What you looking up on the internet? Fucked my search history forever. Oh, and I'm just like, that I'm just is like, okay, true. Natasha. I'm going to call her Natasha since she has a Boris. Obviously. Okay. So the response that this advice columnist gave her was actually like really like nice and like trying really hard to be like fair and not immediately what the fuck and like the first thing she goes into is like i had to check with a couple of doctors to make sure that it's snorting semen wasn't back for you because <laughs> like no one's asked that question before there's so many other ha- habits you could have stamp collecting is going out of vogue. <laughs> i mean she's talking about indulging her sexual fantasies and i'm like lady you have a whole alphabet before you get to there i don't know what you're doing like my sinuses hurt now just listening to this yeah man i i this may not get into the podcast but this hilarious anyway so and he's like good i'll never eat that dessert again (laughs) and that's how ren ruined gingerbread that's how i ruined christmas (laughs) but now that we've ruined gingerbread and christmas and Possibly cocaine. a little bit. (laughs) Possibly cocaine. I think it's time for some therapy. Alright, Ginger, let's get into it. Why don't you tell me about this fucking guy who may or may not be a dead asshole. Okay, so you know how I love to be Mm, topical. mm Mm-hmm. This week I finished watching Hollywood on Netflix. The gay show. The gay show. I liked it. I don't think it was good, (laughs) but I liked it. In fact, I'm very, very sure it wasn't good, but I enjoy revisionist history uh, and Darren (gasps) Chris is hot. Darren Chris. Darren Chris. So short, Mm. so curly haired. No wonder he's your type. fiance husband is not that short i've yes, dated so garen, much shorter put garen gris um, put garen put chris and some like black rim glasses and like a nerd t-shirt you're like 75 percent the way there. <laughs> truly every time i'm watching television and i'm just like i feel a stirring i just sort of look to my left and there he is and i'm just like oh it's because that is that is that, that is that which, I mean, you know, that may be the secret to a long marriage. But uh, anyway, the premise of the show Hollywood is basically that a ragtag group of misfits want to make a diverse movie in 1940s Hollywood. And one of the reasons that they come up against so much opposition other than just general racism and homophobia um, is because of something called the Hayes Code. So this is Cats Don't Dance. It's not not Capstone Dance. <laughs> the Hayes Code, yes. Uh, That's a fit. Yes. I feel like, do I know it? Do I know this? I, d- I 
you probably have like an inkling about it because it's something that gets talked about a lot, like the production code or the code or the Hayes code. Like you hear a lot about that pre-code Hollywood. Like you definitely hear that phrase yeah. a whole fucking lot, but you don't hear a lot about exactly what it is, and you hear even less about like the slimy little shit that it was named for. Uh, Will Hayes, not Rutherford. No, not Rutherford <laughs> Hayes. Um, so anyway, Will Hayes was born in Sullivan, Indiana on November 5th, 1879. His parents were strict Presbyterians, and Will Hayes was steeped in small-town religious Indiana values. Why are all your episodes about Presbyterians? It's not a vendetta, <laughs> I promise, and I feel like... Wasn't the last one Lutheran's? It, you know, it was Lutheran, but you've at least done two others where there was a lot of Presbyterians. That's true. And one of our tweets did very well last week that was about Presbyterians. And if you're curious about that, folks, follow us on Twitter at ThisFNGuyPod or on Facebook at ThisFuckingGuy. <laughs> anyway, um, in 1900, Will Hayes graduated from Wabash College and joined his father's law firm. Hayes married Helen Louise Thomas, a woman who would only ever know missionary position, on November 18th, 1902. <laughs> and badly, lie back and think of the Commonwealth. Just cut a hole in a sheet, kind of, <laughs> like... The kind of beds Don't where they, they have the slat where you put the wood in between because you only have sex when you procreate. He did not smoke or drink. Uh, he, he was a brilliant public speaker and excelled at public relations. So he sounds like a real square who could have used some peer pressure, to be mm -hmm. honest. Like, not, not to be that person, but like somebody should have peer pressured this kid because now he's the worst. Hayes was very politically active and became the chairman of the Republican National Committee in 1918. He then, brace yourself, became the manager of Warren G. Harding's successful campaign for the presidency in the 1920 election. That dude whose dick could not quit. Jerry, you remember Jerry. <laughs> Uh, and you remember Warren G. Harding, and if you don't, please go back and listen to episode 13 <laughs> titled A YA Novel for Fiscal Conservatives. After Harding was elected, he appointed Hayes as the Postmaster General, and while serving in the Harding administration, he became involved in the Teapot Dome scandal. Because why wouldn't you? That really boring scandal I forgot all over again. Oh you my god. It to me, and then I yeah. forgot. I'll keep this as short as I can. The Teapot Dome scandal was when the government sold federal land for oil drilling on the down low and took a bunch of bribes, basically. Gotcha. Compared to any scandal from the current administration, it was positively quaint. <laughs> um, but the public found out about it and there were hearings and oil man uh, Henry Ford Sinclair ended up testifying that he had loaned uh, Will Hayes who was then the chairman of the Republican National Committee, $185,000 worth of Liberty Bonds. He also gave Hayes $75,000 as an outright gift to the Republican National Committee. At the time, Hayes was attempting to pay off the 1920 Republican campaign debt, so that went a long way. Um... Hayes later approached a number of wealthy men and told them that if they would contribute to pay down the committee's debt, he would reimburse them for their contributions with Liberty Bonds. So mm. that was also fucking shady. Man, so you know, this is a dude who clearly, again, grew up with some very strict religious values, who understood moral principle, who never kissed his wife on the mouth. <laughs> Admittedly, I know fuck all about Indiana or Presbyterianism, like, maybe. I mean, Mike Pence, do it. <laughs> Mike Pence as a person. No, yeah, he called her mother. You know he called his wife Oh, God. Mother. Oh, God. You know he called her mother. Oh, Jesus. <sighs> when Hayes testified about the scandal in 1924, he was asked how much money Sinclair had contributed to the Republican Party and said that the contribution was a measly $75,000. In 1928, after more details had emerged, Hayes was called again to testify and told the full story of Sinclair's contribution, including the donation of $185,000 in Liberty Bonds 
and the $75,000 cash contribution. He stated he had not mentioned the bonds in his earlier testimony because the committee hadn't asked about any bonds. You can't call me a liar if it's only an omission of truth. Mm. While uh, there was some public perception that Hayes was attempting to conceal Sinclair's large contribution to the Republican National Committee, he testified again that he was, quote, using the bonds to raise money for the deficit. How noble. How fucking noble of him. So what does a postmaster general do when he wants to elevate his career? Well... Morality had become a divisive issue during the 1920s in Hollywood. I swear to God, I'm getting to a point. Um, Known for promiscuity, gambling, and alcohol, Hollywood developed an image as a hotbed of immoral behavior. So nothing has changed. (laughs) A lot changed, and then everything went back to this, which is Hollywood's equilibrium. I don't think... Here's the thing, though. Like, you're you're obviously going to get to it and explain to it, and I'm, I'm eager to learn... But, like, that shit don't change. You just close the door. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it, that is equilibrium. That is equilibrium from Hollywood is, is the state that everything tries to return to. In 1921, one of America's most popular movie stars, Fatty Arbuckle, was accused of raping a young actress, Virginia Rappé, after she died of internal injuries. Oh, um, God. Let, okay, so I'm not, I might do this as a whole episode, because it's, it's a lot, um, and honestly, the podcast, you must remember this, has probably already done it and done it better. Like, he probably didn't, he probably didn't, and, like, the going theory is that she died of a bladder infection and her bladder ruptured, but, like... You mean that he didn't kill her or he didn't rape her? Either. Oh. Like, probably not. It's just not great when you start off accused of rape and then internal injuries, because, like, it's also It's also not great if you're accused of raping somebody with the literal last name, R-A-P-P-E. Yeah. It's not great. Um, So he was indicted for manslaughter. He was eventually acquitted, but the public outcry about Hollywood's lack of morals became deafening political pressure on the movie industry was also increasing with legislators in 37 states introducing almost a hundred movie censorship bills the year before Hayes was hired. That's sort of spoiler alert, but who the fuck gives a shit? The Supreme Court had already decided unanimously in 1915 that free speech did not extend to motion pictures. What? Girl, I that's probably also going to be its own episode, but Old-timey America's whack. (laughs) Old-timey America's real whack. Um, While there had been token attempts to clean up the movies, like, nothing had come of it. So, on January 14th, 1922, less than a year after becoming Postmaster General, Hayes became czar of the newly formed Motion Picture Producers and Directors Association. Pause. Czar. Not, like, president... No, he was hired as president, but, like, any time you Google him, it's like, motion pictures are Will Hayes. That didn't end well. The czar, like, being does it the ever czar end well? doesn't end well for every, anyone. So that's not the title I would have taken. But you know what? You do you, nerd man. Well, he was the head of the Motion Picture Producers and Directors Association. If you Google him, czar will show up. Um... He was hired at a salary of $100,000 a year, which would be a lot now. Then it was the equivalent of $1.5 million a year. That's a lot of money. That's too much money? That's too much money. Hayes insisted that his job be defined as spokesman for the industry, yet he was granted veto power over decisions by uh, the association's board of directors. So the goal of this organization, the... MPPDA, which the we're just gonna squares of Hollywood. We're just gonna call it the Hayes Office. Hollywood Squares. It, Hollywood Squares. <laughs> Name of the episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the goal of uh, his office was to renovate the image of the movie industry. Religious groups who were already pretty pissed about just the concept of movies in general. 
uh, were incensed by the Fatty Arbuckle scandal and hiring Hayes to clean up the pictures was like a public relations ploy. The press touted his conservative credentials, including his roles as a Presbyterian deacon and past chairman of the Republican Party. And soon the Motion Picture Producers and Directors Association just became known as the Hayes Office, saving me so many syllables. Hayes directed much of his attention to improving the public image of Hollywood movies. He got publicists to eliminate references to movie star luxuries that common people associated with immorality. This is a fucking weird example. Such as expensive cars or champagne baths. I mean, admittedly, when I see a rich fuckhole Mm -hmm. on Instagram Mm -hmm. literally bathing in champagne, like, yeah, that person deserves to be eaten. I understand this. But it's not because I find it immoral on like a... <gasps> you not know, on a religious ground. sinful or whatever. It's on more like... proletariat ground. Yeah, it's more like, you know, workers need to seize the means of production. Kind yeah. of immoral. <laughs> Karl Marx kind of immoral. Karl Marx goes to Hollywood. Karl Marx goes to Hollywood and fucks everyone's shit up. Um, <sighs> first of all, it's really interesting that, like... This kind of happens in, in, in multiple industries, but this idea that, like, this industry is suddenly receiving, like, PR bullshit, and they're like, well, we need to clean this up or deal with it. So they get someone who doesn't understand the industry, like, one fucking iota, to, like, go in there and, like, just stomp on everything? It's like, wouldn't you? wouldn't it be better served to find somebody who grew up in that industry and understood it and, like, then helped to reshape its image, you know? Because there's context there. Who it was, the not, fuck it was not their way. It's interesting to me because sort of, like, him squashing this, I feel like, was the direct predecessor to all of those stars. They're just like us pieces in, like, every shitty magazine you get at the grocery store checkout. That's like there was I don't remember what it was on, but it was uh it was like some sort of people USA, one of those mm-hmm. fucking magazines. And it was like stars are just like us, but also like hot or not, and it was like Ashley Tisdale surfing, like that's hot. And then it was like Selena Gomez on the internet at the beach. She's like sitting on a lawn chair and on her computer. They're like, That's not hot. So it's not only just like, look, they're just like us, but also we're still going to judge them with these preconceived notions of attractiveness. <laughs> it's all horrifying. Many actors known to have questionable reputations would just quietly disappeared from movies. Um, in certain romantic relationships between stars were publicized as marriages. Um... Morals clauses soon began to appear in actors' contracts, giving studios the power to terminate contracts if actors were too involved in scandals. President Coolidge felt the Hayes Code efforts were so effective that he scuttled efforts for any kind of federal regulation of Hollywood in 1926. Yeah, it's not like they had unions yet. I'm trying to remember. I think they might. I think they might have had unions by then. I don't think they did. That, I mean, that was Charlie Chaplin and Douglas Fairbanks and um, Mary Pickford that established United Artists. Yeah, but I think at this point, like, once you sign a contract, like, you're owned by the studio. So, like, that kind of goes against the whole idea of unionization. Well, yes and no. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't I'm talking out of my ass. We're both talking out of our ass. <laughs> Hayes was definitely a public relations guy. He used airplanes to deliver newsreels to theaters so that the news would actually be, like, news uh, instead of old. Sick joke I wrote there. Um, (laughs) Sick joke I improv there. I just let it be. I appreciate it. He promoted films that emphasized patriotism and the values of American capitalism, stating (gasps) that, uh, I know, saying that movies would sell America to the world. He also developed an actual relationship with critics and reporters, presumably to get some sway over what happened in the press. You know what sucks? He's not wrong. Oh, 
yeah, no, I mean, this was the blue, this was the blueprint for, like, how everything goes for the rest of time in Hollywood, in a lot of ways. But the other part of Hayes' job was to make sure movies wouldn't get banned, and to make sure that production companies didn't have to spend a lot of money making edits to keep local censor boards happy. So during this period of time, like, there were, um, boards of people in, like, each state that got to say whether or not a movie could be shown. And each state had a, like, each state board kept its standards secret, which was fucking stupid. Why? Why? Well, like, there's definitely some speculation, I think that this is probably absolutely true, that they just didn't have standards and just, if they didn't like a movie, it didn't get screened. That sounds fair. That sounds realistic. Fair is the wrong word. Okay. By fair, I mean... Likely. Plausible, yes. Yeah. Like, because people are dumb. This So this is actually... I, this is coming back. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> um, I was really into... I, I, I love musicals. I mm-hmm. love Broadway. And I also love movie musicals. Is this the plot of Newsies? Is it going to turn out that this is the plot of Newsies? <laughs> no. <laughs> but Christian Bale going, Santa Fe, you are censored. Um, <laughs> no, so there's this sort of box set that I had called That's Entertainment. And it's mm-hmm. sort of this documentary series about MGM musicals specifically. So yeah. it talks about Singing in the Rain and, you know, Zigfield's Follies. And it talks about sort of the production and all that stuff. But, but at, at one point, I do remember, they were talking about this musical. It was a black and white musical. So I, I guess it was in the 30s, probably. 30s or 40s. And it was these girls singing, and they were in, they were like in this girl's dorm, unlike anything I'd ever seen, because it's not what girls' dorms look like. Mm-hmm. It was like a circular room, and like they were in the shower, but like the showers were like fucking fire hoses, but like the idea was like the girl was behind the spray of the fire hose, so you couldn't see her from the shoulders down, and they're all singing, but they're all singing, and the fire hoses at one point. All the water goes out, and you see this girl, and again, only from the shoulders, she goes, Hey, who turned off the water? And, like, that's the scene. And then later, it shows that, you know, in when this was, like, aired or, like, reviewed, that the producer from the studio had to go on and say that the scene was vulgar, and it was trashy, and they were taking it out of the film because it didn't fit in with the morality of the studio and what they wanted to represent. Which I'm, I'm sure is directly related to this fucking guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Hayes had to keep these local censor boards happy. He had to save the movie studio's money. And it cost, like, the boards charged them a certain fee whenever they had to make cuts. So it was, like, really expensive if you made a movie that ended up having to have a lot cut out. So the best way to make sure that... You don't have a bunch of edits. Is to make sure that nothing is offensive in the movie to begin with. Offensive. Offensive. He tried developing formulas and guidelines to keep everybody happy, but his efforts at pre-release self-censorship um, were, at least at first, pretty unsuccessful um, in quieting what were still being like calls for federal censorship of movies by a bunch of squares. So... Ren, this is the fun part. Do you want to hear some of Hay's early don'ts and be carefuls, as they were called? I would love to hear what these standards are. Okay, so this isn't an exhaustive list because I'm not going to go over everything because that's too much. Okay, so you couldn't have the following at all. Pointed profanity, including the words God, Lord, Jesus, or Christ, unless they were used reverently and in connection with proper religious ceremonies. Sounds like a Presbyterian. <laughs> Any inference of sex perversions. That's going to need a qualifier. <laughs> he's not going to qualify it, but that's the thing that he's a fucking qualifier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, white slavery. I know. I know. Birth of a nation was fine, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um miscegenation or sexual relationships between people of different races, sex hygiene and venereal diseases, or ridicule of the clergy. 
Just to go back, that's clearly, this is like, this is clearly post Mae West. So, anyway, continue. Well, yes and no. I'm going to get into her specifically, so don't get too excited. Um, or do get super excited, <laughs> in fact. So so the following, like, those were, those were the don'ts. Here are the be carefuls. Or the, you're on shaky ground, mister. Um, the use of the flag... Theft, robbery, safe-cracking, and dynamiting of trains, mines, buildings, etc. Having in mind the effect that... So basically, like, if you were gonna commit crime, you had to be super vague about it so you weren't teaching people how to do crime? Oh my god, that is the fucking lamest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Like... I mean, admittedly, you know how many people saw Ocean's Eleven and were like, oh my god, like, I'm gonna be the next Danny Ocean. But, like, all that means is just they wear a suit and try to talk like yeah. George Clooney. No one learns how to do no. that from film. <laughs> no, that was not an educational movie. <laughs> Similarly, like, you couldn't show the technique of committing murder by whatever method somebody just had to, like, suddenly be dead actual hangings or electrocutions as legal punishment for crime, which I don't know if they meant like you couldn't show actual footage or I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But at the same time, you weren't allowed to show sympathy for criminals most of the time. Cool. Nuance. Fuck it. (laughs) Fuck nuance. You couldn't, uh, weren't supposed to show the sale of a woman or a woman selling her virtue can show men and women in bed together, or excessive or lustful kissing, particularly when one character or the other is a heavy. What the fuck is a heavy? uh, What the fuck is a heavy? I mean, I, I think that what they mean is like, if somebody's too into it. This doesn't explain anything. What's a heavy mean? Old tiny slang. <laughs> I don't know. I need to know what's what the fuck do you mean by a heavy? Okay, looking at 150 slang terms from the 20th century. No one uses anymore. A wig chop, a gumsville, a beef feast, <laughs> cruising for a bruising, daddy o. Okay, I was just to say this is probably why. And again, like I mean, obviously, because I've seen movies from like the 20s and some teens. Mostly, like, horror films. And, like, there's they're not making out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no one's making out the way that they've done. They're usually doing that, like, smush kiss. Well, but were those pre or post code? That is the question. Well, I think all kisses in Hollywood at that point were mostly smush kisses. Well, maybe. Or maybe not. Because Catholic bishops apparently did not... They didn't like what was going on still, because, like, this was draft one and this was not getting anything done. And uh, the bishops were mad, but they also didn't want federal censorship over the movies. So, for a couple months in 1929, a group of priests and Catholic speakers developed a more stringent code for behavior for the movies. This document later became known as the Production Code, The Code... And the Hayes Code. It was presented to Will Hayes in 1930, who said, My eyes nearly popped out when I read it. It was the very thing I had been looking for. So essentially, a Presbyterian is like, Hey guys, let's fuck this up. And Catholics are like, wait, 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 wait. We're going to help you out. Yeah. We're going to fuck this up twice as bad. (laughs) So, So, we've heard about draft one. Let's talk about the code itself. So, the Hayes Code has three general principles. First of all, no picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Hence, the sympathy of the audience should never be thrown to the side of crime, wrongdoing, evil, or sin. That's so dependent on who's watching it. I know, I know. Number two, correct correct, correct, Ren. Correct standards of life, subject only to the requirements of drama and entertainment, shall be presented. In number three, law, natural or human, shall not be ridiculed, nor shall sympathy be created for its violation. And here's some of the choice-specific restrictions 
You look so... You just look already so mad. I'm going to make it so much worse. I don't like it. I'm going to make it so much worse. The idea of natural order and correct... Yep. Just... mm, Correct according to who? According to who, Will? According who? Hmm. Hmm. Bunch of virgins. (laughs) Bunch of fucking incels. That's what it is. The incels are always ruining it for everyone. So, again, like, here's some of the specific restrictions. This isn't all of them because that would be too long. These are just my personal favorites. Nudity and suggestive dances are prohibited. The ridicule of religion was forbidden, and religious leaders were not to be depicted as comic characters or villains. What religion, though? What, what, would, what religion, Will? Just which, says religious religions. Oh, okay, so, like, we wouldn't make fun of, like... Jews or Muslims or atheists, we're not going to make fun of those people? Or is that, is that, is that what death is implying? I don't, I don't think that's what it's implying. I'm going to guess that's not well, what it's Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to skip ahead to the last one I was going to read, because this is actually interesting. The flag of the United States was to be treated respectfully, and the people in history of other nations were to be presented fairly. I'm really worried about that fairly right there. Yep, yep, oh, yep, no. yep, yep. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, the depiction of illegal drug use was forbidden, as well as the use of liquor when not required by the plot or for proper characterization. Okay, so, like, yes. dudes could drink all they want as long as they were, like, some gritty gumshoe. <laughs> exactly. Um, references to sex perversions such as homosexuality and venereal diseases were pr- forbidden, as were depictions of childbirth why did they put all of those on the same plane? Those are three things that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. A sexual orientation, a venereal disease, and childbirth. They're all the same. Like, I don't I don't I don't understand definitions and words. The sanctity of marriage in the home had to be upheld. Pictures shall not infer that low forms of sex relationship are the accepted or common thing. What does that... What's a low forum? I don't fucking know. What What the fuck is a low forum? They're doing the lawyer thing. They're doing the lawyer thing that you and I as non-lawyers hate and everybody that we work with fucking loves of just making, thing, making everything as vague as possible so you can just argue for whatever you want after the fact. I don't like it. I don't like it either. Adultery and illicit sex, although recognized as sometimes necessary to the plot, could not be explicit or justified and were not supposed to be presented as an attractive option. How did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof get produced? Uh, I mean... Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, first of all, is a fantastic fucking movie. Yes, it is. Anything by Tennessee Williams is fucking gold. But, like, it's pretty clearly implied... That her husband definitely was in love with his best friend, which is why he can't get it up with her. Brick! It's it's very clear that, that that's what's happening. And that got past this? <laughs> like, I understood it. You th- Our audience is dumber back then? Yeah, like with all of with all of these movies examples you're you're giving, it's sort of like, well, it depends on exactly the year because there was all this other shit happening that we are getting to. The code was written with Catholic undertones and stated that art must be handled carefully because it could be morally evil in its effects and because its deep moral significance was unquestionable. It was initially decided to keep the Catholic influence on the code a secret because America was still fucking racist in that specific direction. That's true. A recurring theme was that throughout the audience feels sure that evil is wrong and good is right. Do you think that if Will Hayes saw Fight Club, his head would explode? (laughs) I think it would. I I think he would implode and travel through time if he saw Fight Club. Fight Club... The Matrix. There's fucking Jesus references in The Matrix. He'd be fucking pissed at those. Oh, God, if they saw Jesus Christ Superstar, even. Really. He'd just die. Really. 
When the code was announced, the liberal periodical The Nation attacked it. The publication stated that if crime were never to be presented in a sympathetic light, then taken literally, that would mean that law and justice would become one in the same. Excellent take, The Nation. What a good point. What a good point. Therefore, events such as the Boston Tea Party could not be portrayed. Mm-hmm. Also, if the clergy must always be presented in a positive way, then hypocrisy could not be dealt with either. So the production code was technically voluntary for film companies. Okay. Um, right. Um, but the film companies figured it was a good way to avoid government censorship. But also, it was... It was not mandatory to production companies, but it was mandatory for filmmakers if they wanted to play in American theater. So essentially it was, like, mandatory, mandatory in effect. The studio heads didn't like the code, but they could see which way the winds were blowing, and moreover, they wanted to save money on editing. So the code became the rule of the industry. But, at least at first... There were a bunch of loopholes that allowed the studio producers to override the enforcement of the code. And as the Great Depression became a thing in the 1930s, attendance at films started to decline. Mm -hmm. So the American public that was left going to movies was looking at the movie industry for escape, and movies knew what people wanted. Yeah, people gave way less of a shit. People wanted smut. Yeah. People wanted smut real bad. Uh, movies became more overtly sexual again, and movie stars such as Mae West pushed the production code as far as possible, prompting a renewed backlash against Hollywood immorality. In 1934, the Legion of Decency was formed by... Wow, the least cool Justice League of all the time. The worst group of superheroes. The Legion of Decency was formed by a group of Catholics bent on reforming films. The Legion pledged to review all movies and recommended which were acceptable for viewing by good Catholics. There's no such thing as a good Catholic. As someone who used to be Catholic, that is inherent in being a Catholic. You're not a good Catholic. You're not a good Catholic. There's no fucking thing as a good Catholic. All of you are bad and you should feel bad about it. <laughs> so what the fuck? The pressure forced the Hayes office to reaffirm the production code and announced that it would levy a $24,000 fine against any production company that did not meet it. The purity seal of the Hayes office was created and a movie was required to have the stamp of approval before it could be distributed through uh, affiliated theaters. I'm sorry, just I know. Fucking, the Legion I of know. Decency and the Purity Seal. Oh, This sounds like a really bad Christian film, like a la God's Not Dead 8. Ugh. During this time, Father Daniel A. Lord, that is his fucking name, Daniel, middle initial A, last name Lord, a Jesuit priest wrote, Silent smut has been bad. Vocal smut cried to the censors for vengeance. What resulted has- My, I, I'm always a fan of vocal smut. <laughs> I'm just gonna just lay that out there. What resulted has been described as a Jewish-owned business selling Catholic theology to Protestant America. Okay, so, I'm sorry. So, he's is he mad that not only are films smutty, but the Catholics have a say? No, he was he was a Catholic. This is this oh, okay. is just a pithy a pithy some have called it this. Pithy. Pithy. As a result, the studios granted Hayes full authority to enforce the production code on all studios, creating a strict regime of self-censorship, which was the law of the land in Hollywood for decades. Also in 1934, to deal with inappropriate industry personnel, alongside the codes concerned with the industry's output, Hayes created a list of 117 names of performers whose personal lives he thought made them unfit to appear in films. This is, this is what I was telling, very vaguely telling you about before the episode that I want to go into in a Patreon episode. I was not able to find this list and find why, but Jesus, I want to find this list and find why everybody was on it. Well, I mean, 
I'm sure half of it is that they're gay. They're gay. They're just gay. I mean, it's e- it's either he's gay, she's a slut. He's gay, she's a slut. She's a slut. And also, might be gay. what does a slut mean? You know what I mean? I, it's all dumb and bad. I'm not saying any of it's not dumb and bad. Another title of the episode. It's all dumb and bad. <laughs> In 1934, Joseph Breen, a prominent Catholic layman who had worked in public relations, was appointed head of the new Production Code Administration. Under Breen's leadership of the administration, which lasted until his retirement in 1954, enforcement of the Production Code became notoriously rigid. Even Betty Boop had to change from being a flapper to wearing an old-fashioned housewife skirt. Gross. It's so gross. Uh, The Protection Code Administration also engaged in political censorship. When Warner Brothers wanted to make a film about concentration camps, the PCA said no, citing a Hays Code prohibition on depicting, in an unfavorable light, another country's institutions and prominent people. Remember when we were really concerned about the word fairly? Cool. Being fair to Nazis, our top concern. With threats to take, yeah, so they were threatening to take the matter to the federal government and, like, make a literal Supreme Court about this if the studio went ahead with the movie. The policy prevented a number of anti-Nazi films from being produced. I mean, that's why The Great Dictator was such a controversial film at the time. I mean, it's also like... It wasn't because Donald Duck didn't wear pants? (laughs) Um, no. Well, because, like, not only... At the time when it was released, was it controversial? But, like, also, sort of when people were talking about it, like, how Charlie Chaplin made, like, the ghettos of Germany look very comical, look Mm -hmm. like not a big deal. And it's, like, it's not because he thought that they weren't a big deal. Like, he intentionally had to portray it a certain way for for what, what little statement they could make to be on the fucking screen. So, you know... Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. After his retirement, Will Hayes returned to Sullivan, Indiana, where he died, yay, (laughs) on March 7th, 1954. By this time, the Hayes Code had begun to be seen as more and more outdated, and by the time it was discontinued, the Hayes Code, still called that, even though Will Hayes had not been president of the MPPDA uh, since 1945, but the office had become synonymous with censorship in an unrealistic puritanical set of rules. The code lived on until 1968 when we got our current format of movie ratings. As NPR notes, I want to go out with this because it's delightful. It took all of one year, one year since 1968 when we went to the current format of movie ratings for an X-rated movie to win an Oscar for Best Picture, Midnight Cowboy, which violated more of the Hayes Code than it observed, and it took just two years after that for Midnight Cowboy to be re-rated from X to R without a single frame being altered. Community standards had changed as they invariably do. And that, that's the Hayes Code! Yeah. And this is why Katherine Hepburn was a lesbian. (laughs) This is why? This is not why, but this is why... Because she and Spencer Tracy had this affair and it was like a big thing about her and Spencer Tracy. But like clearly they were just queer BFFs who needed to give each other beards. Catherine Hepburn was a lesbian, but she wanted to make movies. So like she had to pretend that she wasn't a lesbian, but like also les it out as much as possible. <laughs> I would w- I would watch that buddy comedy so hard if anybody cares to make it. <laughs> Well, that guy, uh, I fucking hate yep. that guy. Sorry, I keep dragging you into the twenties, but it's it's sort of it's your it's your shtick. Um, I mean, this is why. Fuck, what's her name? Is this why another lesbian was a lesbian? This is not why another lesbian was a lesbian. I'm trying to remember the. Act- I think it's Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. This is why. Again, I'm Are you pretty talking- sure is Ava Are Gardner. You- Are- is this the scene from The Aviator where they spent, like, six months debating uh, Jane Russell's cleavage? No. This is why... No. It's showboat. This is why 
Ava Gardner was in the 1951 musical Showboat portraying a biracial Creole woman. Ava Gardner. This is why she was portrayed that because Lena Horne, an actual Creole woman, could not play the part because she was had to kiss the white lead and they couldn't have it. So they brown-faced a white lady. That Hayes Code was still pissed off at that movie because it depicted miscegenation, even though it wasn't actual miscegenation. It's all Ugh. problematic. It's all, mmm, it's all real gross. God, but, like, even, even more than, like, showing the interracial relationships, like, it was taking roles away from black actresses. And, like, this is part of the reason why it took until, what, like, fucking 2001 for Halle Berry to win an Oscar and become the first woman of color to do that? Right. Well, it's not just that they were taking roles away, because they absolutely were taking roles away, but it was also the only roles they could play were, like, you could only play, like, servants or, like, a slave. That was, like, the two roles you could play. That was the only thing women of color and, and men of color could play. I mean, well, even men of color at least, and again, this is not saying suddenly representation was fixed, but at least Sidney Poitier existed. Like, he had parts. <laughs> like, he did have parts in which he played a person. Like, you know. He did, but that was like right, right at the end of the Hayes Code. That was like in the 50s, early 60s. Like, right before it was dismantled. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't have, we don't have enough time to uh, go into that. You need um, some self-care, Ren? Yes. Now that we've had our, Ren gets way too into <laughs> film theory and critique, um, let's talk about some self-care. Yeah, so once again, I kind of only have a one-point self-care plan, because again, everything's awful and I'm just doing my best. But according to Mythbusters, screaming profanity has been shown to have pain-relieving benefits. So have at it. Make Will Hayes angry. Fuck you, Will Hayes! Fuck! Fuck you! Fuck you! I sleep with a brown man. I have sex with him at least a few times a week. Fuck you! No, you don't. <laughs> no, it's about once or twice a week. We're very tired. We love a cuddle, though. We cuddle all the time. I guess thanks for calling me out. You can Jesus, cut that Peter. out. You can cut that out. I just no, heard that. Out. I was like, don't make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> no, it's fine. Me and my wonderful sex god of a husband have sex once a week, and it's so fulfilling. We don't have sex the rest of the time. We can only sleep. Well... That's going to be all for us this week, folks. <laughs> oh, goodness. If you like what you're hearing, and you should, because we're just delightful. <laughs> you should check us out. We have the Twitter, uh, This Effin' Guy Pod. We have the Facebook, This Fucking Guy, because uh, Facebook's weird. We have our website, thisfnguypod.com. We have a Patreon, This Effin' Guy Pod. Although, yeah, still still be donating to your local food bank instead. Like, our Patreon will always be there. Don't worry, there's more pressing matters. Absolutely. As always, I'm Ginger Golub. I am still Ren Martinez. And here's a bonus self-care tip. Britney Spears' Toxic is the pinnacle of American pop music and should be our national anthem. Fuck yeah, buddy. <laughs> also, don't be this fucking guy. Peace. Peace. This fucking guy